Hey yo, Trail Tales time. Let's do it. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 29 of Trail Tales. My name is Kyle O'Grady, and this is the podcast where I, a thru hiker and a peak bagger, and just a dude that has nothing better to do than walk for thousands of miles in the woods, chat with other thru hikers and peak baggers and other people that have nothing better to do than hike thousands of miles through the woods or paddle thousands of miles through the woods as we're going to talk about today. And yeah, I just kind of spilled the beans there. This week's episode is with a guest named Effie Drew. She has done a bunch of through hikes, but she's also done this thing called the Northern Forest Canoe Trail, which is not a through hike, but a through paddle. I know that's a little bit different than anything I've talked about on the show before, but if you're really so dedicated to hiking that you don't want to hear about something that's pretty much the same thing as a through hike, except in a canoe on the water, then I don't even know what to tell you. Effie is super cool. She teaches me a bunch about what this Northern Forest Canoe Trail is, and of course some of the similarities and differences that a through paddle has compared to a through hike. They're actually a lot more similar than I was thinking, which was really cool. I learned so, so much. We also talked a lot about dogs. I mean, that's another big thing. The subject of dogs. I really haven't covered hiking with dogs at all yet on this show. So that was really awesome. Effie has hiked a bunch, like thousands of miles with her dog Luna. And as somebody who did not grow up around dogs and has never really hiked with a dog before, I learned a bunch about that, which was awesome. So Effie, when you hear this, thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on the show. I really, really appreciate it. I know you're probably sick of hearing my voice already and you want to hear the conversation, but bear with me. I just got a couple more things to say. First of all, I made a promise like months ago now to read all my five-star iTunes reviews out loud during the introduction of an episode, and I've kind of fallen behind on that, but it's okay because I also haven't really gotten any reviews this past month, so I'm going to try to catch up right now. So that's a good and bad problem, I guess. Bad because I want more reviews. Go leave me some five-star reviews, please, people. Uh, but good because, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna catch up on this. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm not gonna read this first review in its entirety because it's pretty long, but I just want to pick out a couple parts here. This first one is from Christopher Johnson and his dog, Winnie. Christopher, I know you're a pretty big listener of the show, and I appreciate the support. He says, send it. It's been sent. Oh, hell yeah. Two thumbs up for me and two paws up from Winnie. Christopher's dog, who is very, very cute. Everybody should go look them up on Instagram. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip to the middle here. Kyle's style helps me feel like I'm in my 20s again while forgetting that I'm actually my 30s, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Narnar, and stop doubting yourself. You're doing an amazing job. That's just so, 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 so nice. Christopher and Winnie, I really, really appreciate the five-star review. Let's do another one. This is from taco on the at i guess this was a uh, nobo through hiker in 2018 says i freaking love this show every day that i listen i'm taking right i'm taken right back to the trail or i am inspired and wondering about what's next narnar way to say that you'll do it and put this podcast into place you're doing a great thing for our community so taco thank you so so much for that as well guys i love the reviews i mean i've been saying this since 
pretty much day one. Um, please go leave a five-star review. It helps rank the show high, so more people will see it, more people will be exposed to it, and I will become rich and famous, which is obviously the only reason why I do this podcast. And I, yeah, it's just, it's fun. So please go help me out there. Even better, if you want to share this show with a friend or a loved one, or even with somebody that you don't love, like maybe just someone you kind of like, like maybe it's just like a a casual thing. I don't know, just anything. (laughs) Oh God, anything like that. Just please share the show with somebody. I'm cracking myself up over here, folks. Um, Word of mouth is another huge way that podcasts, especially small ones like this grow. So I would really, really appreciate that. Maybe go share it on social media, something like that. Speaking of which, I have social media. That's right. I don't know why I say this at the beginning because most of the people that listen to the show found it through Instagram, so they already know about my freaking Instagram. But in case you somehow found it some other way, like maybe word of mouth, um, you can go follow me on Instagram, people, at TrailTalesPod. I post a bunch of pictures over there for my thru-hike of the AT and a bunch of other stuff. And I also have a Twitter, at TrailTalesPod. Facebook, go like the shit out of this show on Facebook. Just search TrailTales. It'll come up. You can be one of, like, the 30 people that like the show on Facebook right now. That'd be sick. And email. I love email. I say it every single episode, every single introduction. TrailTalesPod at gmail.com. Send me a suggestion. Effie was suggested to me as a guest through email. So this never would have happened if it wasn't for... Trail Tales email people send me an email suggestions for guests or just for ways to improve the show in general tell me what you like about the show tell me what you don't like talk some shit I'm serious I've only gotten like one shit talk email and yeah just please contact me like that okay last thing I want to say just real quick here is about the Trail Tales Patreon I know I know don't like to just give random internet people money like I get it trust me but I will say that especially if you're a regular listener or pretty much only if you're a regular listener of the show that's right I'm talking to you right now I'm pointing at you I'm pointing at my computer screen it's the same thing I would really appreciate it if you checked out the Trail Tales Patreon five dollars a month that's not very much most of you people probably spend way more than five dollars a month on like beer or like food and just other non-essential things like that so Please go check it out. You'll get a bonus episode every single month, and you'll get a blooper reel every single month as well. I just added to this month's blooper reel because I had a major voice crack about five seconds ago that you didn't hear due to the power of editing, but you could have heard it if you were a Patreon supporter. So please go check that out, patreon.com slash trailtales. In addition to all the extra stuff you'll get, I mean, it's really just a great way to help the show. I do spend a lot of time every single week on this show, and it's a labor of love for sure. Like, obviously not in it for the money, because I don't make any money. Um, but, you know, I, I would just really appreciate that, and it'd be, it'd be a good thing to do. That's right, I'm going to guilt trip you into this, people. <laughs> Um, that's, that's enough of that. Let's do it. Let's get into the episode, episode number 29 of Trail Tales with Effie Drew, Northern Forest Canoe Trail, class of 2018. All right, here we go. Episode number 29 of Trail Tales. Today, I am joined by Effie Drew, who has hiked not only the Appalachian Trail, but a bunch of other stuff. We're going to talk all about it. I'm so excited. But first of all, Effie, thank you so, so much for taking the time today. I really, really appreciate it. I think this is going to be fun. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So Effie has, like I said, she's hiked the Appalachian Trail and she's hiked a bunch of other stuff too, but she also did this 
crazy thing called through paddling the northern forest canoe trail which we're gonna get into in just a second but i just wanted to throw that out there now to everybody like we're gonna be talking about something that's like not like really a through hike today but it's like the same kind of concept you're just in a canoe or a kayaker i don't even know what she was in we're gonna find out in just a second but um to start off effie i just kind of want to get a feel for you know how you learned about like through hiking and the appalachian trail in the first place so i guess when did you like first kind of find out about this whole long distance backpacking thing well i'm from maine so i've always been aware of the at and um had people in my life that had hiked it before. And so when I graduated college in 2015, I actually left the day after my last exam and drove down to Georgia to start. I I think a couple months prior, maybe that winter, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, I started getting really into doing more solo backpacking probably a year or two before that. Okay. Um, mainly in the whites. And so that's probably when the idea was sparked. I think I probably came across some through hikers and just got inspired and decided that that's what I would do immediately after graduating. Um, I also played competitive sports all through college. So I think I was also looking for something that would fill that need to do something physical every day. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Because the absence of sports was going to be a little bit of a shock. Yeah, I can imagine going from, you know, being like a an athlete like that and then all of a sudden you're just done school and it's like, okay, well, like now what, you know? <laughs> so I guess that transition kind of makes sense there. Um, one thing I just I just noticed that you said is that you left like the day after your exams. So I was like almost in the same boat like but by that did you mean you like didn't like go to your graduation ceremony right i didn't go to graduation oh you skipped it oh man (laughs) it was like a week or two later and it was already i started the 18 may 7th so um you know people like warn you about starting too late yeah yeah so i was kind of eager to get going um i'm sure it would have been fine but i didn't really care too much about walking at graduation that's that's so funny because like i said that's like so similar to me so i i i think my last exam was probably like so i i hiked the at last year and my last exam was probably like may it's probably like may 7th or 8th or something like that and then i had to wait like a couple more days before graduation and in the back of my mind i kind of wanted to be like screw it like i'll just go and like just start the hike early because I, I was the same way i was like worried about having enough time as my listeners have heard me say plenty of times by now, but in the end, I was like, nah, I, I, I put all this work in for college. Like, I got to at least, like, see it through and, and, and walk on stage, but I, I was still able to make it in time. In fact, actually, a year ago today was the day that I started on May 14th, 2018, so that's kind of cool. Uh, oh, man. There. Um, so, I guess I kind of want to dive into, you know, why you decided to thru-hike a little bit more. It sounds like you had done some previous backpacking in the whites and maybe some other places like how experienced were you um before you had kind of set out for the at and, and why like why did you decide to do this like crazy through hike in the first place well the outdoor and hiking lifestyle was definitely a part of my childhood my parents are both from north conway and i would say like of my childhood photos under the age of four are in 
a backpack nice <laughs> on some random trails um so i've always loved to be outside and um so it felt really familiar to me uh, the camping part of it was i was really comfortable with it so i guess it was a natural evolution of my experience you know right. i already felt pretty comfortable in that kind of setting um i was a pretty confident in my physical ability to do it. Um, and I don't know, I, it definitely was a hiking was a part of what got me through the end of school, especially with, you know, the focus of sports and just finishing my major. I ended up graduating in three and a half years. Okay. So, um, because I had taken a semester off the year before. So, I, I don't know. Like it, it wasn't like I overthought it too much. I think one day I was just like, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. And then I just followed through on it. I think that's one of the hardest parts about through hiking is so many people have this idea, but so many people have a challenging time carrying that oh, yeah, for sure. idea out because they just, there's so many obstacles that can get in the way. I mean, the pressure to get a job and to do other things um, are all very much there. So I think it was just, for me at least, making the decision and sticking to it. And then that kind of evolved into a hiking lifestyle after that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, what you say there about, like, you know, people saying they, like, want to do it but don't actually do it is kind of the reason why I ask. Um, I, I ask pretty much all my guests, you know, why actually do this? Because, like, it's it's a commitment and it's a pretty, like, crazy thing when you think about it. I mean... It doesn't sound maybe as crazy to you and I and a lot of our listeners because, you know, we're all hikers, hiking nerds. But like to normal people, like that's um, that is kind of crazy. So that, that's that's why I ask anyway, and I, I think it is an important question. No, totally. And debt has a huge p part to do with that too. I mean, like young people are in so much debt these days that that is a huge barrier to being able to hike. Um, so that was definitely like I I worked through school and got financial aid and you know played sports so like got help from my parents like mm -hmm. I think when you have the ability to leave school and not have the pressure of debt it definitely opens things up for you a bit well and not just that point in your life too other of course other times but of course no I I think that's awesome I think it's awesome you were able to kind of make it work like that um so after the AT. So I know we're going to talk about the Northern Forest Canoe Trail in just a second. But besides that, you know, you have a pretty extensive hiking resume. Why don't we kind of talk about that a little bit? What are some of the other significant hikes you've done? Um, well, after the AT, the following summer, I hopped on the PCT in Ashland, Oregon, which is basically like the California-Oregon border. Okay. After just driving across the country with all of my belongings with the intent to move out there. But I wanted to first hop on the trail and catch up with some friends from the AT and just kind of walk for a few weeks. So I parked my car and um, just started walking and ended up going to the Canadian border, which was like a little under a thousand miles, I think. <laughs> Wait, and you just left your car there the whole time? 
I, I had a friend in Ashland that I was like, I'll be back in a few weeks. And then I ended up texting them after okay. maybe three weeks. I was like, yeah, it might be a while. Okay, <laughs> good. I was going to say, because like, just leaving your car at a trailer for that long would kind of sketch me out. <laughs> no, that would probably be a little Especially sketchy. with all your belongings in it and everything, too. <laughs> Ballsy move. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Jeez. No, so that, and then I, um, I, when I started that, it was August 1st. So by the time I got to Canada, I think it was around September 15th. So I didn't exactly have time to do a full flip-flop of the trail. Right. So I flipped down and hiked Southern California. So I've still got a chunk in the middle to do. Um, but it was super fun, and I got to cherry-pick the seasons a bit, and it was spontaneous. So yeah, I had yeah. a great time. Awesome. We're going to we're gonna go back to your hiking resume in just a second, but I, this question just popped into my head. Had you yeah. ever like hiked out west before you went out to the PCT like that? Um. Well, I have cousins in Santa Barbara so I done a little bit around there and in Olympic National Park okay so like a little bit because I, I was just I'm, I'm curious honestly because I'm thinking about doing the PCT within the next couple of years or something like that and I've never like hiked out west really except for like a little bit in Glacier like for not even very much and like I'm just curious what it's like going from the AT or like east coast style hiking to just kind of jumping out west like that you know uh, I think that's the better jump to make, to be honest. Really? Yeah, it's especially the PCT is graded for horses, and so there's really the rocky scrambles that you get in New England. You you never find anything remotely that difficult there. So the hiking is generally faster paced and easier on the feet and the body. Um, it's much more gentle, I okay. would say, in general. Aside with, from probably uh, Washington State, gets a little bit more New England-like, but not nearly as rocky. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, okay, so side tangent over. Uh, so you you did. So how many miles of the PCT? First of all, did you complete then? Um, probably thirteen or fourteen hundred. So that's that's how you know you're a long distance hiker when you like don't even know exactly like how far you hiked. You just you're like, yeah, yeah, it was like pretty far, like thirteen or. Well, then I ran into a bunch of fires, so I had to skip like two or three little sections, which I've gone back and done um, since then. But yeah, maybe maybe fourteen hundred. Okay, so so you have completed the trail at this point? No, I never did the section in the middle in the that middle, I missed, okay, which okay. is. Sierra and Northern California. And I'm sure you'll be going to do that soon, especially now that you're out in California. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I kind of got sidetracked on other stuff, so eventually I will go back. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, yeah, like what else? Like I, I keep cutting you off here. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Um, then the following year, 2017, I hiked the CDT southbound. Um, so that was the big trip that year. And then last year, 2018, um, did about a 700-mile hike from the Canadian-New Hampshire border down to the Connecticut Sound, which um, last summer I wanted to hike the Cohas Trail, which is yep. a shorter trail in northern New Hampshire. And my partner wanted to hike the New England Trail, which goes through Massachusetts and Connecticut. So we just found a way to connect them, being on the long trail in AT, and I studied some maps, and we, we picked some different state parks to walk through. So 
we kind of connected two smaller through hikes. That's awesome. Well, I feel like I could do a whole episode like just on that. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. I mean, so the idea between that and the Northern Forest Canoe Trail, doing both of those last end of the summer, fall, was that we wanted to move out west. And both being from New England, we had a few more spots that we felt like we hadn't really spent enough time. Mm-hmm. Adirondacks, um, Northern Maine. And so the idea was like, let's do as many um, miles in New England backwoods as we can before right. moving away. Right. That's that's awesome. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I've got so many, so many questions here. Um, but just real quick, like I, I'm trying to imagine this route. So like, you start, did you start like, uh, at, uh, Canada on the Kuhos trail? I, I, one of my other guests a couple of weeks ago was, was talking about this trail and I, I can't pronounce the goddamn name of it, but it's totally weird. So it's C O H O S. So it looks like it's going to be Kohos, but it's Kohas, which Kohas. is the name of the County that it walks through. Okay. Kohas. But it starts right on the, on the border. Right. And is that where you guys started and then you kind of went South? Yeah. So yeah, we went south. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure this out. So the Cohas Trail, uh, that so I know that ends at what is it like Crawford Notch or like somewhere in the like right smack in the middle of the Whites. Yeah, exactly. So then from there, did you take like the AT back to Vermont? Yeah, basically. So there's it's pretty close to Franconia Ridge. So we actually took the Pemi Valley, which if yeah. you're up on Franconia Ridge. And you look down um, into the valley floor. There are some amazing trails through there. And is that the one that you know, goes like right by Owl's Head too, like the little spur trail up Owl's Head? That's yeah. So it well, it, it goes closer to like the Bonds and Flume. So we took that, and then we hopped, we climbed up, and we're on the AT okay. until um, probably Manchester, Vermont area. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get? to Connecticut <laughs> like well, actually I guess did you just take like the AT south from there to like, Connecticut like where did you actually like end well I should send you a map actually um then we had to traverse over to the start of the New England trail which uh, okay that was the stretch for about 70 miles where there was no one trail so I had to map something totally different where does See, I, is the New England Trail the like the same thing as the Mid State Trail? It's like the M M and M Trail, like Metacomet, Metabosset. That they're all shorter, but this kind of connects a lot of those trails. Okay, it's a little bit confusing because it's Massachusetts and Connecticut, and there's so many trails. Yeah, but <laughs> it starts at Royalston Falls, which is east of where the AT is. So the AT stays hugs western connecticut and massachusetts and then this is quite a bit east okay okay interesting yeah i I gotta look at a map because and then that just goes north south down to the water right right that's i think that's so cool just like piecing together a bunch of different trails so that's awesome um okay before i go too deep down that rabbit hole because that is something i'm very (laughs) curious about let's talk about this northern forest canoe trail so i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna start by just like saying what i know about it which is not very much and then I'm going to just ask you like a bunch of like very basic questions and, you know, feel free to kind of work in some stories and your experiences as well. So 
I I kind of learned about this trail like pretty early on, like shortly after I started to learn about long distance like hiking, and that's just because I like learned that it went through Vermont kind of, and I've crossed it like a bunch of times because I I used to cross it on my way to and from campus. I went to Clarkson University in northern New York. And so I would always cross it in uh, Swanton, Vermont on my drive there. And like, there's a, there's like a little sign and I don't think I ever like actually stopped and got out, but like, I was kind of aware of it. I know that like, there's a little section on Lake Champlain, like a little bit north of Burlington here too. So anyways, I, I watched like a couple YouTube videos on it and like, it's, it, it seems, and we're going to find out if this is true. It seems like it's pretty much exactly like through hiking, except it's like, instead of hiking or like on the water, right? Is that is that an, is that a pretty accurate description, or am I way off there? No, that's accurate. I would say it's the same premise as walking every day. You know, you break down camp in the morning, eat breakfast, pack up, paddle all day, take some breaks, and then set up camp. Right. I mean, the routines are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just paddling, and the pace is probably similar too. Okay, it, okay, interesting. Yeah. So I guess to start off, just just like, can you just explain like what exactly it is? Like, you know, where does it start? Where does it end? How long it is? You know, just kind of the basic information you would find if you just like Googled it right now, pretty much. Yeah, sure. Um, so unlike a through hike, there. Well, I guess that's not true. Last year, somebody did it in the opposite direction, but. It basically goes from west to east, unless you're as crazy as this guy, <laughs> um, because of the the, um, the way the water flows. Right, so right, it starts okay. in the Adirondacks at... Um, Old Forge, right? Old Forge, New York. Okay. Yeah. And then it goes to the Canadian border um, in Maine, so Fort Kent, Maine. Damn. <laughs> how, how many miles is that? It's, I think, 740. So it goes through New York and then northern Vermont into Quebec briefly, down into New Hampshire, and then um, like near Rangeley, Maine, is when it starts to traverse northeast to the border. Okay. So it's it's pretty long. The majority of it is in New York and Maine. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So one question that just popped into my head there is like, how much of it is in Quebec? And like, do you have to go through customs when you go like dip into Quebec? I mean, I mean, I'm assuming you're probably supposed to, right? But like, how how does that work? Is my question there? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely a little different than most of the other trails, but um, we had a different experience because there a bridge was being repaired, so the normal port of entry. Um, I had never crossed international border by water before, but basically you get to this little stand where there's a phone at a custom station. And after you've crossed, you have to call customs and report your entry. So going into Canada, we actually were portaging because this bridge was being repaired, so we couldn't enter by water. So we had to get out and um, walk the road that paralleled and check in at a custom station and that is quite a scene to be pushing a canoe <laughs> on wheels through a custom station was definitely one for the books and oh, then man. coming back we were on what lake is that um 
I should. Oh, really I, I, I think, I think I know. It's what like you're meh. About. It starts with. Um, is, it, is, is it near Newport, Vermont? Yeah, it's that oh, one. Oh, I can't. I'm, I can't. I'm looking at it on maps right now. I, Some I don't of the go names up there are, very often, of honestly. Lakes are pretty insane, but um, then when we cross that one, we you, there's like a giant buoy that marks the border, and then once you get into town, um, you just do the phone thing where you call in, and it's way more casual than I thought. Okay. I'm I'm looking at the name and I don't I don't even know if I can pronounce this honestly. It's like <laughs> Mem from Memphremagog. <laughs> I think I'm sure I butchered most of the names of places that we were. Oh man, yeah, that's that's a except tough one. Maine. Maine, I knew all those ones, but true, true. Um, damn. Okay, that's that's so crazy. So I guess I don't. I've I like have hardly canoed or kayaked in my life. Like certainly nothing like this. Um. Maybe a little bit just on like Saranac Lake and the Adirondacks, but like not like like through paddling kind of thing, like not like all day and then camping in different spots. It was more just like loaded up a canoe with a bunch of beer and like went out to a campsite for a couple of days. So oh, I, I really haven't spent that much time on the water. So I don't know anything about boats or canoes or kayaks or anything like that, but I feel like some people listening might know more than I do and would be curious. So like what kind of uh, canoe it sounds like, uh, what kind of canoe were you guys using? So the trail is traditionally a canoe trail because the routes that you're following are old trade routes, even some of the portages, which makes it really awesome. There's so much to learn about um, some of the native lands that you're walking through or Mm -hmm. paddling through. And so today there's a, more varied use of boats. Some people use kayaks uh, because it's a little bit quicker. Um, some people will use a canoe with a kayak paddle. Um, and then there's still a fair number of people doing it the traditional way in a two-person canoe. Okay. So that's what we did, um, my partner and I. And we didn't want to buy a boat because we're actually not paddlers. We both had recreationally paddled quite a bit. Um, Dave had done a multi-day trip in New Zealand before, but even though I was pretty comfortable in a canoe, I'd never really done much rapids or um, long distance. I knew like basic strokes. So that was part of the fun for us is that we didn't consider ourselves paddlers and we wanted to learn. So part of that meant that we didn't have like half a dozen canoes to choose from, which people who canoe have um, so many canoes. It's outrageous (laughs) because depending on what you're doing, no, there's a different boat. Same as like shoes or backpacks. Right. Um, So we had this massive tripper, old town tripper, which they don't make anymore, but it's a classic um, old town canoe used for long trips. Okay. It's super comfy and big and stable but it weighs 80 pounds. Yikes. And yeah. And I guess on that note, so th- these, I think you called them portages, right? Portages, yeah, yeah. That's where you're carrying the canoe. So this is this is one of the like the big questions I had. So like when I like watched this YouTube video, like it's probably like a year or two ago now, of this guy that has done this through paddle like a bunch of times. Like it was, it was pretty gnarly, honestly. I can't remember his name, but he would often show the portages in his video. And I'm like, 
dude, that just looks so miserable. Like, like, why would you want to just like, so I, I guess, how does that work? Like, how do you just like carry the canoe? Like how, like how long are you usually like out of the water for with it? Like, how do you like traverse like some of the harder, like, like portages? Like, I don't know. Like, how does, how does that all work? It varied quite a bit. So there's a number of dams that you have to portage that are just quick, you know, get out, walk a couple tenths of a mile. Um, and for those, there's usually established trails that are pretty groomed. Okay. So um, you can buy portage wheels, which um, have almost like BMX bike wheels on them, except probably cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so you strap your boat onto those. And for anything that's graded, you can push it, which makes a huge difference. Yeah. So for a lot of the more established ones. So so a lot of them are like not necessarily like trails. They're actually just like paved like walkways or roads, right? So Yeah, usually kinda... like dirt gravel okay. where you might have some obstacles. But like easier than like a trail, thing. right? Yeah, and but then there's also a bit of trail. Um the longest trail carry is three miles, and that is <laughs> oh, man. the mud pond carry in Maine, which is like a total washed out stream basically. Um, so there's some pretty tough portages, even, you know, six tenths of a mile is a long way to go when you have it over your head. Yeah. So um, like when you're on the trail, could you still like use the little, um, the little wheel thing or did you have to like put it over your head and like carry it? Well, it depends. We tried different things. So sometimes we would each be on one end and, um, when we came to roots or rocks, we just would lift it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty slow too. So the way that we decided to do the trip was we knew we had this heavy boat. So we would make up for that weight difference by bringing all of our lightweight backpacking equipment. Okay. So we both had our own gear in our backpacks. My dog was with us. She could carry her own stuff in her hiking backpack. So that when we were doing these portages, the only things in the boat were our paddles and our PFDs are life jackets. So um, we felt like that would make up for it a bit because sometimes, you know, people that are canoeing will bring heavier gear because it's easier to carry. Right, Um, right. But there was a number of instances where, and, and we tested out before we left for the trail, if we could carry it over our head. So you can get these yokes that, Go make it so that when the canoe rests on your shoulders, it's less excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boat is 17 feet long, and I'm five foot tall, so <laughs> I actually can't carry it on my head or on my shoulders um, above my head. Wow. I tried before we left, and I just I can't do it. It's too long, and um, I'm not far enough off the ground. So the instances where we were having a hard time uh, wheeling it. We would either have to each get on one end and carry it that way, or Dave would have to put it over his head, and I was carrying as much gear as I could. But often these portages mean you're doing the distance like three or four times because you have to go back and get your stuff. Oh, really? Like you, you, you can't just take everything with you at once? Like you just have to take the boat and then go back and get the rest of your gear? Yeah, it would just be too hard because that would mean I had – my backpack, Dave's backpack, both paddles, both PFDs. Oh, the paddles and yeah, okay, yes. I, I see. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't realize that honestly. So, I'm, I'm well, bo- I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's 
honestly, those parts of the NFCT are pretty outrageous. I would call it more of a going through an obstacle course or like a Spartan <laughs> run with a canoe. Oh man, see that's that's so crazy. How how often did you have to like do these portages? Like I I know it's going to vary obviously, but like if you had to like say on average or even like per section, like how often was it like a daily thing? Was it like only every couple days? Like just yeah, like how often were you doing this? There was at least once a day. So Oh man. Probably between like 1 and 3 a day. We tried to make it so that they were either first thing in the morning. So you camp at the beginning or end of it or mm-hmm. um, at night. But yeah, often it was more than one. And you get into a rhythm of it. Like some of the easier ones towards the end, we were able to move pretty quickly. And um, once we came up with a system, but that was really part of the fun for us was that we had really no idea what we were getting into. So <laughs> there was a lot of figuring it out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, see, that's see, that's just the one thing about this that like, really kind of turns me off i guess and kind of going back to that video like it just looked so miserable um do you know like the exact or or an estimated not exact um like mileage that you were actually like carrying the canoe for like that was part of the trail but out of the uh, water um i think we added it up after (laughs) but officially about 80 miles of the 740 are portage because they're already portage trails or you know there's times where you have to go from one body of water to the other mm-hmm. um the longest portage is in quebec on a gravel road and it's maybe six miles but we were paddling this we started late august um because we were actually halfway through that hike and it was raining a ton and so we thought that we might have a window where water levels are a little higher in New York. Okay. So we actually hopped off the hike and went over and did the paddle and then ended up coming back okay. to the hike. But Interesting. Because it was late season, we dealt with a lot of low water and it was a, a dry year in general for New England, a dry summer. Okay. So we ended up portaging, I think, more like 120 because... <laughs> There were some parts where the rivers were just too bony to paddle and that we had to just get out and walk a and road. Walk. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a lot to be carrying a canoe or pushing a canoe. I d I don't know. I don't know. I I've also never tried, so maybe it's not maybe maybe I'm just like overthinking it, but I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I didn't mind the portages because it broke up the paddling a little bit. Okay, I, okay, I could, I could see that maybe. There yeah. were certainly some that were absolute torture, so it, it varied. Yeah. Um. How long? I don't think I, I asked you yet. How long did it take you guys? Forty days. Forty days. Okay. So, well, what's that around? How many miles a day were you guys uh, paddling and portaging? <laughs> I can't remember. I think our longest day was probably like low thirties. And then we, our some of the more brutal days were probably more like ten or fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like hiking, you know, you take zeros and zeros into town. Um, so I think we took two zeros. I think it's a, like twenty average. Okay, so like slightly more than I guess it depends on your pace. Like then, then an average like hiker, I guess. Then so, but pretty pretty comparable. See, that's that's one thing I, I was wondering about because. I didn't know if you could cover just like the same amount or like more. I kind of assumed it would be a little bit more, honestly, 
I guess it was a little bit more, as we well, just said, but I don't know. That's the challenge of this trail is how varied it is. So most of Vermont and New Hampshire is paddling upstream. Okay, so that obviously is going to slow you down. Doesn't take a genius to realize that, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I honestly had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> um, and so some of the days you're just walking the canoe up the river because the current's too strong. So there were parts where it was it was slow, and then um, there, some of the river travel was you know more like five miles an hour. So it all evened out, probably to like eighteen or twenty miles miles per day. Okay, okay, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, so one thing I always ask when I'm like learning about like trails I don't know very much about is just like the resupply situation. So obviously you guys are resupplying along the way. You mentioned that a couple times. Like how how was that? Cause like I don't know. Like were you? It's not like it, it can, or maybe it is. I don't know. Like it can't be like the AT or any other trail where you like just like hitchhike into town. Like you've got a boat with you and like like I don't know. How did the resupplies work? Like I don't even know. <laughs> right, you definitely can't hitch with a boat. Although you'd be surprised how many people offered us rides. But you walk through the towns, so either it's along a portage route. Um, okay. So, like, you know, I'm trying to think of one, like, before you get on Lake Champlain, you're on the Saranac River, I believe. And at the end, it, there's a ton of rapids. So, unless you're really experienced with whitewater canoeing, most people will be portaging around that. And then you just go right through town. So, what, what is that? Is that town? Is that Rouse's Point? Let me see. I forget. It's Plattsburgh. Oh, oh, Plattsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Little, okay. I was, that's a little bit south of where I was thinking. Gotcha. That's where you enter um, Champlain. Yep. Oh, and and then you kind of like go up Champlain up to like the Swanton area. Okay. Yeah, you go up up Champlain uh, to the Missisquoi River. Yep. So you enter like just south of Canada. I understand now. Okay, so I so this is actually one thing I was wondering about when I was researching the trail. Did you guys camp along that Sh- Lake Champlain section at all? Yeah, we did. So where where did you camp there? Um, well, okay, actually, we went into Burlington because first you cross Lake Champlain to, like, Gordon Landing. Um, I got, I got Google Maps up in front of me right now, kind of referencing all this. (laughs) But there's a ferry that does the the tough part because it's, the lake is so big, there's, like, four-foot waves. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, because I've literally crossed on that ferry before, and that would be pretty gnarly to go across in a canoe. (laughs) Right. So we went across the bay um, and then hopped on the ferry and then started going north. And you try to hug the shore because you go pretty much the length of of um, the lake um, from Gordon Landing north. And we had such a bad headwind. We were, I think we made it like uh, four miles in four hours. Wow. <laughs> so we decided, and that's the other part, like Hiking, you have weather variability that impacts your walking, but the wind and paddling is a whole other ball game. Oh, so yeah, I can imagine. We decided to wait a day because the winds were changing. So we um, found some folks at the landing that would let us leave the boat with them. I think um, on the bay there, there's um, like a little boat rental store. So we just asked them if they would house our boat for a night. And my friend picked us up and we went into Burlington. Oh, okay. Um, 
And then we camped at the, the north, northern end. I want to say, like, not North Hero State Park, but closer oh. to the head of the Missisqua. Okay, so you actually camped at, like, a state park. You didn't just, like, kind of, like, stealth camp. Or there's not some, like, established, like, campsite that's free that I don't know about. <laughs> no, it varied. I mean, I don't think on Champlain there's much because it's either houses or... Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of why I was curious. Um, I think that kind of opens up like the more general question then is like, how did like camping work most of the time? Like, were there, was it kind of like the AT where there's like established like free sites or even like stealth sites that aren't like, like marked or whatever? Um, or were you like mostly staying in like state parks kind of like that or, or like, you know, pay to stay kind of places? I think we, the only place we paid was on Champlain. Okay. Um, through New York, there's a ton of great shelters. Um, same with Maine, not so much the shelters in Maine, but established campsites. Okay. Um, in the Allagash, you pay a fee for however many nights you're there, but it's like four bucks a night. So I think we ended up paying like 20 bucks. So, but that was more for land management. Um, and then there's quite a bit of, um, like backcountry just finding a random spot, but you do have to be careful of private property um a lot of times we would just camp at the beginning or end of a portage and the the great part about doing a trip that not very many people do especially late season is that you kind of can get away with being like at the start of a of a river or you know on the shore of a lake because there's really nobody else doing what you do i th- want to say there's like 10 or 15 people who do this a year so most of the people we met were really nice and encouraging and um, like happy to tell us where we could go. I mean, okay. like in uh, Newport, they let you like shower at the boathouse. And, and so it's, it's kind of like through hiker culture probably was, you know, 25 years ago in that there's not going to be a, um, a rule book for where you can and can't stay. Okay. I mean, aside from like Champlain and more populated areas. Obviously you don't want to camp on someone's front lawn right, without right. asking, but um, it was a lot more like just feel it out and, and see what seems appropriate and ask people if you can fill up at their hose. And I mean, there were so many times where um, I think on Champlain, when we decided to get off the lake, because we we're just getting blown around and the waves were high so then you just pull over and you're in someone's backyard and you go knock on their door and you're like, hey, we're <laughs> out on the water and we got to get to the road. Can we cut through your yard? And nobody ever said no. Yeah, yeah. I, I can I can believe that for sure. The camping is pretty awesome in general, though, I would say. Like, picture, like, your top 10 spots on the AT. I would say most of our camp spots were top 10 worthy. Just beautiful and awesome sunsets. There were definitely a handful of, you know, pull over late in the day and just set up. But yeah. most of them were really fun and endless places to swim. I feel like I just learned quite a bit about that. Um, that's that's awesome. I guess my the last question that kind of popped into my head here <laughs> is, uh, did you guys ever just like completely just like spill and just like end up in the water? No, not once. Well done. Well done. <laughs> But that's that's part of the boat choice. We have a pretty stable boat. 
Okay, and like, did you guys like prepare for that at all? Like, I know you said you had like mostly just like your backpacking gear. It sounded like I'm, I'm assuming um, you must have like waterproofed your stuff, like right? Like that's a, that's a dumb yeah, question. Yeah, everything's but... <laughs> in dry bags, and okay. then I've got a Cuban fiber backpack, but submerged. I don't think that would uh, cut it. So I had everything in dry bags. In dry in bags, that. okay, okay. And then one of the biggest differences with through hiking, I would say, is we ate so well. Um, Neither of us backpack with a stove normally, so we had a stove and we would pack out like a dozen eggs and fresh veggies. Yeah, I guess it would be a little easier to carry that stuff, huh? Yeah, I mean, during the portages, it was sometimes tough if we had to carry it, but it was so worth it. I mean, we ended up just getting like a 30 liter dry bag, I think halfway through, just to have a separate food bag. Okay. Um, and then the when weather gets cold, it's nice to be able to eat more than the normal stuff. So yeah, absolutely. That part was fun, but no, we never capsized. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I'm glad to hear that. That would that would be. I would definitely capsize if I if I did. There this. was a handful of times where we almost did, either in rapids or um, on Champlain. The waves were pretty big. Um, that I got nervous, but yeah, that would. That would sketch me out for sure. Um, I guess my last question about this, I lied before. This is my last one. Um, <laughs> was there any, like, so you, you kind of mentioned, like, you were able to kind of change up the food from, like, a normal, like, through hike. Was there any other, like, gear differences or anything like that um, besides the fact that you're you, you're in a boat? <laughs> um, this, uh, comparing, like, this to a, like, actual, like, through hike? Yeah, um... So the gear we had to get before this was we got new paddles and PFDs. And then my dog had a PFD. I would say the only like specific um clothing was that we got booties for the cold, for the colder weather for walking in the water. Okay. Um or I, I didn't even have the full booties, I just had the socks and I put them in my Tevas, but that made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and a shitload of sunscreen. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Obviously, you're going to be a little more exposed out there than when you're at least on an East Coast trail. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's talk about dogs a little bit. So I, hey, I've never really hiked with a dog other than like a couple day hikes like years ago, right? Um, and this is a subject that I've been wanting to cover for a while because lots of people love to hike with dogs. Um, so I've got a bunch of questions about this. So like I said, not very much experience with dogs, even in general. In fact, I had never really lived with a dog up until just a couple months ago. Um, I never had one growing up or anything. And like I said, certainly never really like hiked with one. So I guess to start here, like, first of all, actually, most importantly, like, t- tell me about your dog. Like, who is your dog? Like, what what kind of dog? Like, what's the name and all that stuff? <laughs> um, so my dog's name is Luna, and she is five and a half. She's an Australian Shepherd, so they are similar to Border Collies. Um, they're herding dogs, so they have um, a pretty strong working drive. Okay. Um, I noticed that with, with Luna when she was young. I got her when she was eight weeks old. Um, so they, they have this ability to focus. That's pretty great and unique. Um, and that gave me the ability to channel that into something like hiking. Um, so I started working with her on the trails 
my college had a trail system um, on Sebago Lake. And your so college was on Sebago Lake. Did you go to uh, St. Joseph's? Yeah, St. Joseph's. my last okay, two cool. years I went to St. Joe's. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I, uh, I've I've never actually been there, but I I've looked across the lake many times and seen it. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful spot. So it was great. I um. Because I got here while I still had two years of college left, which was insane, but ended up being great because she was raised by a campus of people who would watch her while I was at class and at practice. Mm, yeah. And um, I had her off leash there from day one, walking the trails. So that's really like we started building a foundation for it right away. Okay. And yeah, it just evolved. I It sucks when people have to leave their dogs behind to go do these through hikes um and you know many of them aren't prepared or cut out for it um or their their humans aren't really ready to take that on yeah which is totally fine but i knew that um i was gonna have an active lifestyle and that hiking would be a part of that and that i didn't want to have a dog that um was separate from that i really wanted to make sure she was a part of my lifestyle so I obviously didn't see, um, you know, what I ended up doing the last few years um, back when I got her, but um, it was great because she just kind of helped me evolve our lifestyle into what it is now. Yeah, definitely. Um, Do you have any advice for people who might want to try to get their dog into like, maybe, maybe not like a full on through hike. That's probably a little much to start with, but like just get their dog into hiking or maybe just uh, overnight backpacking, something like that? Yeah. Well, I think the the through hiking and the long distance is a whole um, huge piece that has its separate challenges. But I would say hiking in general um, and like backpacking, um, I think a lot of the base is um, behavioral and, and the bond. Um, it's, I think, a trail dog that really enjoys it um enjoys it mainly because they're with you all the time okay and that's really all a dog wants um aside from maybe being outside mm-hmm. so i think you know for date hiking and and backpacking um weekend backpacking it's all about building that relationship of trust with your dog um especially if you want them to be able to behave appropriately off a leash that you really have to work up to that. Um, I I always tell people that it wasn't for until Lynn and I probably hit the 3,000 miles hike together mark where I finally felt like it was easy, um, that the training was done. That's so many miles for a dog. And and you said Luna has done even more than that, right? Uh, do you know how many like miles or roughly she's done? She's probably done around 7,000. Um, wow. Just on the long trails. <laughs> that is so incredible. Wow. I don't know. That's so amazing. Close to 10. <laughs> wow. Seven. That sh- <laughs> that's like, that averages out to over a thousand miles per year of her life. That's, <laughs> that's nuts. That's nuts. That's awesome though. I think that's, that's so cool. But it's, it's so fun. I mean. Oh I, yeah, for sure. Um, I can see why everybody wants to bring their dogs out. I guess the tough part is that people want to be able to go out and have um, have it all figured out right away. Um, and it just takes a lot of time and a lot of patience and work with your dog to get to that point where, um, 
you're you're in sync and it's it's easy and effortless right right what are what are some of the common mistakes that people make when they're kind of trying to get their dog into backpacking like that well in terms of backpacking i think the biggest mistake is just throwing a backpack on a dog with some some stuff in it and expecting them to be able to carry that um you know it's probably easiest to think of it in terms of how we would feel so like if you were at home for 40 hours during the week like let's say you're a dog and you're at home 40 hours a week mm-hmm. while your person's at at work and you maybe got like five or ten miles in during the week and on the weekend you want to go out and do 20 miles with a backpack on monday at work you or i are pro like that person is probably in a little bit of pain oh yeah for sure so I think the easiest way to think about it is, you know, if it feels like it's too much for you, then it definitely is too much for your dog. So really, it's all about working up to it slowly and, and the backpack included in that. Like, um, I started wearing Luna's backpack on her at six months empty. And so for about six months of her life, she wore it totally empty just to get used to it. Okay, wow. Um, and even now, I don't load that up more than six pounds. And she weighs... 45 that's another question i was going to ask is like uh like how much weight you were putting on her what would you so what do you usually put in the backpack then like just food and water like i I really don't know anything about this clearly (laughs) yeah well i can i'll send you i write about it a lot on my website because people have a lot of questions about that um uh, that's one of the yeah one of the common mistakes is putting too much weight in it so you'll read anything from 15 to 25 percent is appropriate um, I don't go more than 10 or 15 max. Okay. Um, reason being, you know, fitness and conditioning. So if you go out on a weekend with 50 pounds in your pack, your feet are going to hurt versus a 25 pound pack. So, um, it really wears their paws if it's too heavy, um, bad for their joints. So I keep her gear super light, um, Ultralight dog backpacking gear? Is that a thing? And minimal. <laughs> well, it's just about like, like I don't carry a lot of extra stuff. I don't carry comfort items. So, um, and then for her food, I, um, you know, if we have like a four day food carry, she's probably carrying two or three days and I have day four. Um, so, yeah, I keep it super light and simple. Uh, and it makes a big difference with just general health and recovery yeah i mean it's 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 kind of like you just alluded to it's like the same thing as with a person like you can't have too much obviously uh too much weight on your back or it's just not going to be safe and not going to be comfortable yeah and i mean part of like hiking and backpacking and through hiking is figuring that out by making mistakes right so like yeah if you don't choose the right shoes or you put too much weight in your pack you're the one whose feet are covered in blisters and you're paying the price and you're learning the part that gets tough is that when it's your dog that you're making decisions for, you really can't be making mistakes at your dog's expense. It's just not fair. And I won't say that I haven't made a single mistake. Um, I definitely have made mistakes, but um, really trying to work out the kinks when you have a safety net, you know, close to home or shorter trips or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Have there have there ever been any times where you had to like, I don't know, alter or change your plans because of your dog's needs? Yeah. Um, the most common one that I run into 
is hiking in the heat. Um, Australian shepherds have long coats, and I'm not very heat tolerant being from Maine either. So uh, when we're hiking in desert environments, it usually means um, really being flexible with the schedule of you know waking up at five, hiking till ten or eleven taking like a five or six hour break and then hiking out again in the evening and hiking late. Um, it's definitely sucks, but you drink less water that way. Um, it's just less exhausting for, for her and for me. And, uh, the sleep schedule just gets a little weird, but, um, that's one that I run into. I would say each summer I have to, um, modify my expectations a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, honestly, another one of the like the big things I wanted to ask you about was like having I'm I'm treading lightly here because I I I, I don't know like having your dog on or off leash like when you're hiking, right? So I I will say that there have been a couple times where how do I how do I'm I'm treading lightly here because this is like kind of I feel like a topic that it's a totally touchy topic. Even yeah, among is. people who do long distance hike with their yeah with their pets so. and like I because like I said until recently I had never um had a dog like I never like been around a dog that much right um and not that I like didn't like dogs I was just like not like super comfortable with dogs I guess I honestly that's that's really changed now even after just a couple months but um you know I just I was never super happy when somebody's dog would just like run up to me like when I was on the trail right and certainly when it like surprised me and like I didn't expect it um but even even when I could like see it coming you know I I was never crazy about that that being said I never got bit I never got you know hurt or anything like that um but you know that was that was something that did kind of irk me so I guess how how do you like deal with your dog like when you're hiking do you do you keep Luna on a leash do you keep her off leash like have you trained her I don't I don't know like what do you what do you think about all that well, I think that one really depends on the dog and their relationship that you have with them as your their person. Um, I hike with Luna off-leash probably 95% of the time. Um, and I won't say that she was perfect about it early on. Um, but I trained her to, you know, walk at my side or walk behind me when I tell her to. Um and, you know, a lot of that is just time desensitizing. So a dog that's new to that is probably going to get excited at another hiker or another dog yeah, coming up the trail. Yeah. And I guess I will say, I, I feel like most of, sorry to cut you off there, most of the times that that happened, it wasn't with like a, a through hiker or somebody with a dog that's like done a lot of hiking. It was probably mostly just like day hikers that didn't really actually take their dogs out that much on the trail. Right. And and that's where it's it's tough. You know, it's not everybody has the same amount of time to dedicate to it as, mm-hmm. as I have. But, um, the, one of the hardest, um, things about dogs on the trail is an off leash dog interacting with an on leash dog, because some people make the choice to keep their dogs on a leash. Um, and I think this is the biggest piece is if you want to have your dog off leash, they need to be trained to be desensitized to people coming up the trail in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. uh, and dogs that might be on a leash. So uh, being able in those situations to capture their attention, put them by your side, and and have them avoid that situation. So 
Like, for instance, if we were coming up to you on the trail and you were going the opposite direction and I saw you coming, I'd put Luna at my side. And then once we stopped and talked um, and I said hi, if we did, then she would like go up and say hi to you. But a lot of it is um, the dog's level of experience, right? So a dog that's pretty new and maybe only goes out once in a while um, just doesn't have the exposure to like read situations. So like Luna's to the point now where if she, if someone is giving off the the feeling that they they want to interact with her, she'll go up to them. Um, and if they just look like they want to keep walking, she avoids them. So okay. part of it Smart. is just like over time, you know, kind of getting there. But I, I think that um, I wish that everybody um, who wants to hike with their dog off leash would put in some work um, because, you know, I, I don't want other people on the trail to have a bad experience or a bad right, encounter right. with a dog because then it makes them skeptical when they see other dogs. So, you know, when I'm on the, I'm on the trail, I try to, um, like set that example of like, let someone have a positive interaction or an interaction that's as much or as little as they want. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with dogs is like, if you don't have control over them, then they'll take control over the situation. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, you're never going to win. So, right, right. Um, but it's tough. It's, it's a ton of work and it's, I've learned so much. I definitely didn't have it dialed in to start. It's been a huge learning curve. Yeah. I, I can imagine it, it being pretty tough. And even I, I feel like my, like, I'm not going to get as like annoyed by it now that like i just have like a little bit of like i know i i, I feel like i honestly just like didn't really know how to interact with dogs before i i got rid of my roommates and i got a uh, mingo a couple months ago and uh i feel like now it's going to be a little different like and, and, and again i feel like people who like own dogs and people who like have in the past i guess too like might not consider maybe or even understand that somebody might not want their dog just like running up to him, you know? Cause like, I feel like most people would probably be like stoked if like a like cute dog's like running up to him. Right. Like that's, that's so cute. Right. But like, I, 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 I don't know. It's just, it, it can be different for, for some people. Don't, don't hate me people. Like I, I like dogs. I'm not saying I don't like dogs, but you know, um, just try to consider that a little bit and, 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 and heed some of Effie's advice there. Everybody's level of um, being comfortable with dogs is different. And, and like, I think, you know, dogs that are off leash, they're, you know, you have to let that other person um, take the lead on the situation. I think mm-hmm. that's because yeah. you just don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, are there any other, like, important topics that I didn't really touch on there that um, concern hiking with dogs, you think? I mean, there's so much to it. I could probably talk all day, but I think, um, yeah, the big, the biggest thing is just people knowing their dog and working up to it with them. And, um, it's a great way to bond with your dog and learn about how to have a better relationship with them and how to teach them how to do things, um, how to be polite, how to interact with people. Um, great exercise. Like, yeah, I would say, um, Luna off the trail is so well behaved because of her time on the trail. Um, so I think the two things can really go hand in hand. Like, um, you know, if someone were to take their dog out, um, 
for a Saturday morning hike and then go out to lunch with their friends and they're going to sit outside. Like that dog probably is just going to lay there really politely and drink some water. And that was because they just went running in the woods. Yeah. So I think that it can um, be really beneficial to to a dog and, and the relationship. Awesome. Awesome. So we're kind of getting towards the end here, Effie. So I kind of forgot to tell you something. So at the end of these episodes, I always like to have my guests just share a story from one of their hikes, just like the the go-to story that they would tell if they were maybe like at a around a campfire, say, and, and someone asked for a story about their about their adventures. I usually tell my guests this in advance so they can like think of something, but I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I, I don't think I told you this. I think, I think I forgot. So like, if you need to like take a minute, like to think about it, that's, that's totally fine. But when you're ready, I would love to hear just like whatever your craziest or your favorite um, trail story to tell is. Okay. Well, I, I definitely have a good uh, NFCT one from last okay, fall. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, so I guess the backstory would be, um, so this makes a little more sense that my partner Dave and I met hiking on the CDT in 2017 and we both done a, most of our hikes solo up until then. So, um, we we're very like familiar with walking alone or walking in a group, but never really like, um, as much with like one partner as we were until we met each other. So, um, and the Northern Forest Canoe Trail was totally his idea, so I blame him. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're on the trail, and we're paddling down some white water. Um, the Northern Forest Canoe Trail, you can paddle in a canoe anywhere up to probably like class three, unless you're an expert. Um, okay. So we learned a lot about paddling white water. But what's different in a canoe from when you're walking is that you can't choose how much space you have for each other. So when we're walking... Together, we'll spend, like, hours apart, um, even, like, an entire day apart um, if we need. But this one particular day on the trail, we're going down this white water, and I'm in the front, uh, and he's at the back steering, and um, I miss a rock. Like, I don't see it. So part of the communication of white water is, like, um, t- the person in the front scouting the route and telling the person in the back where to steer. Okay. okay. So... I miss a rock and we bash into it and obviously we start arguing and just kind of like going at each other about whose fault it is. And then we both just kind of look at each other and realize that tandem canoeing is the only one of the only things that you cannot do alone. You can't only have someone in the front and you can't only have someone in the back. Yeah. A one person canoe is really difficult to do. Um, and so, I don't know, there was just this moment where we looked at each other and we're like, we have to figure this out or we're not going to make it. Like, um, there's no choice of taking a break from each other. Um, so it was super, like, testing in that way. Um, but it was just, like, a strange moment in realizing that we chose to do this activity where we have zero time apart, zero space, and that our success is totally dependent on our ability to communicate and work together yeah that's 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 that is pretty incredible because that's like so different than a through hike i mean not not that like that doesn't come into play at all like when uh two people try to like through hike together but i mean that's like a whole it's a whole nother level there for sure 
Right. And it's it was fun, but it was pretty crazy. And it sounds like you guys were able to kind of get that down after a while. I'm assuming if you made we it did get away. it down. <laughs> we definitely had good days and bad days, but um, it was really like great. I I would say that paddling that trail was harder than any through hike I've done, honestly. Really? Okay. I mean, I I could I could see that. It, it it'd almost be like somebody who's never hiked before, like going back to Springer Mountain for the first time or something like that. You know, just kind of relearning. Right, in your case, relearning some things and yeah, you know, just like starting over in, in a new environment you're not necessarily as comfortable in. So yeah, that's a. I think that's awesome. I'm so glad we get to talk about that. And you know, again, I don't know if I'm ever gonna do it. I would like to do like a part of it, maybe. Like maybe I'll find the part of it that's like around here that like doesn't have very many portages. And I would section my... <laughs> paddle it if I were to do it again. That way you can do everything downstream. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's see it. I didn't even think of that. Like that's, that's so smart. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, that, I got this on my list. It's... I'll give you some good sections to go do for sure. Cause yes. there's some like any hike too. There's some uh, less interesting parts. Like it, it does look kind of fun though. I remember one time I was doing, have you ever heard of the cranberry like 50 in the Adirondacks? No. So it's just like this 50 mile like loop anyways. And a lot of it, like Cranberry Lake 50, like hence the lake, like a lot of it's like on water and, and there's actually a bunch of rivers too, not just around the lake. And I was like beside, like the trail that goes like right next to this river. I don't even remember what the river is called now because this is was, this was a couple of years ago, but we were like stopped at this river, like right on the water, taking a, a break. And then all of a sudden, like this canoe just like flew by, like they were flying and like, um, I don't, I, I don't know if that was like a rapid or I, I really don't know, but it was like a pretty, the water was moving pretty fast and we literally like saw them for like half a second and they were just gone. And I was like, that looks pretty fun. It's like backpacking, but you can just like fly down the river. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's maybe fun. I'll get into that eventually. <laughs> Effie, thank you so, so much for, for taking the time tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you to Samantha for getting us in touch as well. Yeah. Um, that, that's a, that was awesome. So, yes, thank you so much, Samantha, as well. Um, Effie, last thing I want to say is where can people go to, like, follow you on social media? Or um, I know you have that website. Can you just kind of talk about where people can find you and go read about your adventures and see your pictures and all that stuff? Sure. Um, my Instagram is babygotbackwoods. My trail name is Baby. And then my website is the same name, babygotbackwoods.com. Um, so I've got blogs about some of our trips and a lot of helpful dog info for people who have questions on that and some photo galleries and all that jazz. Awesome. All right. I think that's going to do it. Episode number 29 of Trail Tales. Thanks for listening, everybody. And Effie, thank you again one more time. Don't hang up on me quite yet, but for everybody listening, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your drive or your um, hike or your work or you're studying that's a new one or you're lawn mowing or your shower i got that one from a listener last week <laughs> um or your your yoga that's what baker that's my la last week's guest that's what he said um what do you do you listen to many podcasts if you where, where's like a place you could see somebody listening to a podcast hmm. i mean my main two are while walking and in the car uh, working, maybe? Working, yeah. That's Those are pretty much the three that I do. So, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.